Welcome to Learn Buddhism. I'm Alan Pito. Easter is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus that's observed by Christians from around the world. But do we have something similar in Buddhism? Well, yes and no. Of course, we're talking about two separate people, two separate locations, two separate religions, and two separate beliefs, but we do find some similarities. For example, Siddhartha Gautama, the man who would become the Buddha of our era. He had his own resurrection story, but it's not in the same way as Jesus. In order for Siddhartha Gautama to become the Buddha, his belief in self needed to die. When this occurred, his true natural state of nirvana was resurrected. I'm going to talk more about that as we get into this episode, but that is foundational for us as Buddhists. We don't call it the resurrection. He was enlightened and became the Buddha, but it is an important part of our religion. But let's talk about some things that are somewhat similar between these two remarkable religious leaders. The first one is the test and temptation. So we have two separate locations where these two people lived, separated by over 500 years. Jesus was born 500 years after the Buddha but we're seeing some things in their religious journeys that are a little bit similar. And one of them is this test and temptation. So Jesus went out into the wilderness as part of his experience, his effort, his determination, where he was fasting. What's interesting and important about this is at the end of those 40 days, he was confronted by the devil. So the devil is looking at Jesus in this what he believes a very weak state where he can do this influence over him and basically change him and make him do what he wants to do. So this is where the devil goes to Jesus and says, you must be really hungry, right? And so here's a stone. You got this power. You can change it into a loaf of bread to feed your hunger. But Jesus knows what the devil is doing. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. So that Jesus keeps going and going and going, and he even gives an, this, what we might just jump on to go, yes, I, I want this. He goes, you know what? All this is yours. He basically took Jesus up and said, hey, look at all this land. This could all be yours. You'd be the ruler over everything, right? And so now he's going on to power and control. But Jesus is still not tempted by this at all. And to the point where he mocks and ridicules and tells it, the devil to go away, be gone. The, the point was, Jesus now saw what the devil does and was no longer influenced or in any way challenged or tempted or anything by the devil or his actions. This was the power. And the devil had to go because he's not going to win. He's not going to win with Jesus. Jesus bested him. Now we see Siddhartha Gautama going back 500 years. He also went out into the wilderness where he was trying to learn from the best teachers of the time to find the truth so he can become enlightened. But no matter what, he wasn't finding that truth. You know, he was very skilled. He was understanding things, but the, the truth that they were teaching was never complete. It was never really getting him to where he needed to be. So there's a point in 
Siddhartha's journey, where he is meditating under what we now call the, the Bodhi tree or tree of enlightenment for 49 days. And so you, you see a little similarity here. We're going like 40 days basically between these two. And that, that is a, a testament to strength and endurance and practice and everything else between these two remarkable figures, where Siddhartha is also seemingly in his weakened state, right? And so Buddhism has Mara, and Mara is sometimes likened to the devil, but he's a, he's a demon inside Buddhism, but not in the same way as the devil. Now, he confronts this enlightened Siddhartha because he knows that the next step for Siddhartha is to become the Buddha of our era. Now, if he can stop Siddhartha right now, one enlightened being, eh, okay, what's the big deal? But what he's worried about is that Siddhartha, if he becomes the Buddha, a Buddha teaches others on how to become liberated themselves, become enlightened. This is something Mara doesn't want because Mara wants to control. Just like the devil wants control, Mara wants control as well. Because when we start creating these unskillful actions, these, these unwholesome karma, it's keeping us trapped in a cycle of rebirth. And that's what Mara wants. So he tempts Siddhartha. He presents him with his three beautiful daughters. <laughs> Doesn't impact Siddhartha at all. He says, no, thank you, basically. Because Siddhartha understands impermanence. He understands dependent origination. He understands a lot of concepts and teachings fundamentally now because he's discovered them on his own. That didn't work. So Mara is beside himself, like, what else can I do? So he throws his entire army at Siddhartha because, remember, he's trying to stop him from becoming the Buddha. This entails everything from this, this scary, threatening army just rushing down on Siddhartha, where he's still meditating. He's still sitting very tranquilly, peacefully. Doesn't seem worried whatsoever. We see arrows being thrown at Siddhartha, but he raises his hand and they transform into flowers. So something remarkable is going on here. And what it is, is Mara being defeated. Mara's realizing there's nothing I can do. So basically, Siddhartha has bested Mara because he can see what Mara is, what Mara is doing. Right now, as laypersons, as everyday human beings, we don't see what's really happening. We don't see what we are really doing. We don't understand what we are really doing. But in this case, Siddhartha did. He's an enlightened being. He's seen Mara for what Mara truly is. And Mara has no longer any effect on him. Being defeated, he goes away. So we see both of these figures going away from these two religious figures. Now, with Mara gone, Siddhartha became the Buddha. He dedicated himself to teaching others, and he spent over 40 years teaching others what he had learned and helped others become enlightened as well. And it's his teachings that we are currently following right now. We are in his era. So this was a remarkable story between the two where it teaches us as lay Buddhists that effort is really important. We have the threefold training in Buddhism. And part of that 
is going to entail effort, this determination to continue on the path inside Buddhism as the Buddha taught. It's going to be challenging for us at times. It's going to be scary. We're going to have things that tempt us. But if we stay on the path, eventually we'll get there. Maybe future existences. But as we continue this effort, this practice, we can be there just as Siddhartha did. The next one is what I call the weakness and kindness. So with both of them, we see something very important. As we are getting towards my resurrection example, we see Jesus. He's about to be crucified. He's being told to carry this heavy cross all the way to the hill on Calvary. But he's in his weakened state. You know, he has been beat. He has this crown of thorns on his head. I mean, he is beyond carrying this, this heavy cross. He's just in this diminished state physically. Physically, he, this, he can't do it. So he's falling several times. This is where one of the guards pulls somebody from the sidelines, Simon, and helps him to carry the cross. So this is essentially shouldering the burden as well, right? So it's no longer just Jesus. Now Jesus has somebody who's helping him bring that cross. And this is important because the resurrection is crucial for Christianity and for the story of Jesus. So if he can't get that cross to Calvary, he's not going to be crucified. He's not going to be brought down to that cave. He's not going to have that resurrection. So this needs to be done. And Simon's there to help him carry this cross. Now Simon goes on later on to other roles in Christianity where he's going to even be like a bishop. But at this point, he's a little reluctant to do this, but he's, he's helping Jesus do this. And this is important. There's, there's a kindness here and a compassion for this person who is in a weakened state to fulfill their mission. We go down to Siddhartha. So I talked about how Siddhartha was sitting and meditating under the Bodhi tree, tree of alignment, right? But there was a step before that. So as I mentioned, Siddhartha went out into the wilderness, essentially the forest, and he learned from all his teachers, and he was trying all these different techniques to the point where he's like, you know, I'm going to try this this last technique where barely going to be eating anything. And this is sometimes where you see imagery, such as statues, where the Buddha looks like a walking skeleton or a sitting skeleton. This is what we're talking about right now. That's, this is that time where he went to the extreme because the belief was you can realize higher states of enlightenment if you just stop with all this nourishment and everything else, you can realize it more. And that didn't happen. So he's like... This, this was the wrong path. So he goes down to the river to, to clean himself because he's not bathing, he's not doing anything. It's just a horrible state for him. And in his weakened state, he gets basically almost like carried away by the currents, which is not really that strong, but in his weakened state, it's strong enough where he almost gets carried away and almost dies. But he's able to make it to shore and he just like collapses. I mean, he's just... This is dire straits for Siddhartha. But a young girl, a maiden, walks by, Shudata, And she is remarkable in Buddhism because without her, there's no Buddhism. She gives him some milk rice. And this touches his lips and he takes it in. I mean, he's just on, on the edge of death here. And this starts to nourish his body slowly, slowly. And this is where we get that middle way in Buddhism that the Buddha taught. 
because he realized, I can't be going to these extremes. Yes, our bodies are impermanent, of course. You know, there's the five aggregates in Buddhism, where we are a temporary grouping of five different things, working together in something called Nama Rupa, which makes us believe we are permanent, unchanging, and independent. That's the belief here due to this illusion of all these five aggregates working together in this concept called Nama Rupa that makes us believe that. And it works so beautifully and seamlessly. We believe it strongly. But he's realizing that, yeah, you know what? This body is impermanent. It's just a temporary grouping. But we need it in order to become enlightened, to escape the cycle of birth and death, rebirth. We need this body. So that means don't go to the extremes of where you're trying to starve your body or do things like that, or to the other extreme where you're just lazy and or maybe you're just eating all the time or whatever to that effect. You want to nourish your body, keep your body as healthy as possible because this is what's helping you on this path towards enlightenment. And of course, we are all at different stages with our bodies and our health and everything else like that. But his point is, you just have to look after yourself because it's your body and it is this body and your mind that's helping you on this path towards enlightenment. You can go either direction, but that's not going to get you there. It's this middle way and not going to extremes. And that's just one part of it, but that's, that's an important concept that came from this particular uh, part where he was given that milk rice. So without Sujata, we wouldn't have had the Buddha. We wouldn't have had Buddhism right now. It could be a much longer time before we would have had a Buddha on our earth to give us these teachings. So that small act of kindness saved him. And without her, we would not have had the resurrection. So let's go to the final part, the resurrection. We know with Jesus, he was crucified. He died. He was put into a cave, and, and, and that was it. You know, for, for all and every new, he was dead. But in the Christian religion, this is where the miracle happens. So after three days, the big boulder, the big stone, gone, moved off the side. So now it's open. And where Jesus was, no longer there. He was resurrected. This is foundational for Christianity. He was resurrected. Now, with the Buddha, he didn't die. So remember, he was saved from death by Sujata, by that milk rice, and then he was able to meditate for 49 days. But he did have to die. And just like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, that was the death of the idea of self. Now, for those of you who heard my other prior podcast and video and article on this, we're not saying that you don't exist right now. Yes, you and my, you and I absolutely exist right now. We're physically here. We can, we think, we can touch or touch things. We, we, yes, we are alive. We are talking about that belief that we are permanent in some way, that we are unchanging, and that we are independent of other things. We don't need anything else to exist. You know, it's it, we're here. Buddha says that's the delusion. That's our ignorance of the truth. So. As he is meditating for 49 days in this intense state, that's where he had the breakthrough on dependent origination, essentially causes and conditions. He understands things must arise and fall due to causes and conditions. That includes ourselves. That includes thoughts. That includes all phenomena, all conditioned things. And he taught that 
conditioned things are impermanent. And because we are impermanent, we suffer dukkha. That's that unsatisfactoriness, that unpleasantness, that, that suffering. That, that is what we are trying to end in Buddhism. But we have to do that by understanding self and what it really, really means. So as he said, again, we are ever-changing, we are impermanent, and we are we are here due to causes and conditions. So, I mean, we are going to eventually no longer be in these, these five groupings right here. So what's really important about this is, is this belief we have in self, as I mentioned here, we give rise, we give fuel to something called the, the, the three fires, sometimes called the three poisons. And this is greed, anger, and ignorance or delusion. And this is important because this gives rise to us creating unwholesome karmic actions. And karma, these karmic actions in Buddhism, is what continues throughout the cycle of rebirth. It is also what chains us to that cycle of rebirth. So karma, whether that's wholesome or unwholesome karma, is all essentially chains to this cycle of rebirth. Enlightened beings like the Buddha, who no longer have that wrong view of self, but the right view of self, they are liberated from that. They have broken those chains. So the karma they generate no longer binds them to this cycle of rebirth where they are constantly re-becoming uh, in these five aggregates. So he was able to fundamentally understand self. And when that happened, those three fires, greed, anger, ignorance, lost their fuel. And when they lost their fuel, he was no longer creating those unwholesome karmic actions or any karmic actions that binds him to the cycle of rebirth. This was his true natural state. So if you want to use that fire imagery again, just imagine, theoretically, you're on fire. Well, that's an unpleasant experience. Or if your hand touches a flame or something like that, right? Unpleasant, unsatisfactory suffering, right? We don't want that. Your natural state is not to have fire on your skin, right? If we think about the three fires inside Buddhism, those are not natural to us. Those are conditioned. We are allowing those to happen. And when they happen, we cannot see what self is. So when we look at our true self in Buddhism, it's absent of the three fires. It's absent of all this suffering and dissatisfaction and satisfactoriness. It's nirvana. Nirvana is the absence of the three fires. And that's where we see the Buddha, his aligned followers, bodhisattvas, other Buddhas. They are in their true natural state, their true self, if you will, of nirvana. And that is really the resurrection story inside Buddhism. It's Siddhartha's enlightenment when he came to Buddha because he had resurrected, so to speak, his true natural state of nirvana he was transformed. And this is so important to us as Buddhists that we celebrate this. We celebrate the Buddha's enlightenment in that particular way. Now, for a final part of the story, what happened after the resurrections or immediately thereafter? So Jesus, now he's in a spiritual body. He wasn't even recognized by his former disciples. They didn't realize it was Jesus. The, the person they'd been with all this time couldn't even realize it was him. So this is 
a remarkable and always very interesting portion of it to me, they couldn't see him. They didn't, something was different about him that they were blinded to it. Now, with the Buddha, he also had something very similar. So now he's the Buddha, right? Siddhartha became the Buddha and he went forth. Now, he met with his five former disciples. So both of them are meeting their disciples again, right? Now, they did recognize him as Siddhartha, not the Buddha. So basically, to the five former disciples who were also with him during that very last, very challenging practice that he was doing where they were barely eating anything, they're looking at him as Siddhartha, who's kind of looking healthy now. You know, he's abandoned that other practice that they were doing. And they were a bit repulsed by that because they're like, well, we're still doing that. You left us and they didn't see anything special about him. But thankfully they did. And it continued on to many different schools that we have today and a, a rich history inside Buddhism. So do you have any questions about the quote unquote resurrection of Siddhartha Gautama into the Buddha? I would like to hear from you. You can send me a message from my website, lmpedo.com, social media, or if you're on Spotify, you can also leave a message there. Thank you, and I'll talk with you in our next episode.